Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 117. I got Rich Possum back here with us, and Rich has been a guest on here uh, several times, and he's really my uh, my go-to guy when it comes to uh, to the economy. And and I I'm, I, I thank Rich for for being on the podcast over uh, throughout 2018 and and moving in here to 2019. So wanted to get Rich back on here and go over just just a few things as far as what he sees happening here at the end of the year, some stuff that took place um, in 2018, and maybe how some of those those bigger things are going to play out in 2019. So Rich, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Wishing everybody a prosperous and safe new year. Yeah, we're, uh, things are shaping up to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. It feels like looking at the stock market here the last 30 weeks, 30 weeks, 30 days. uh, It's been all over the place and we'll see 500 to 900 point jumps back up, back and forth from down 500 points to finishing up 300 points and, we saw that here at the close of right about Christmas Eve. So as you take a look at that, Rich, what are, what's some of those signals you're seeing right now? And, and, and what do you think, how do you think that's going to play out in the 2019? Yeah, I, uh, I'm working with three scenarios for the stock market and the economy. And of course, stock market's highly correlated to the economy. It does a pretty good job uh, in my lead or lag at times, but it, uh, it's pretty much in tune. And what we're seeing here in the last three months with this volatility, and it's been flat out bearish volatility, although on an intraday basis, you can see them step in and boy, they just can slam prices straight up for an hour or two. But ultimately, all they do is come back the next day and and sell it again. And they're just concerned that 2019, uh, we're going to see GDP work its way back towards 2%. Goldman Sachs uh, was out uh, just... uh, if not yesterday or was over the weekend uh, than last week. And they just said that for the first part of 2019, they see like a two, dropping from 2.4 to a 2.2 estimate. And then the latter half, it could dip below two. So I've kind of gone with the idea they basically feel like 2019 is going to be a 2% growth. Well, we've been talking three and a half to four. And of course, Trump's been pushing that all his uh, initiatives uh, relate to 4%. And we have, we did see in the beginning of 2018, some evidence of working that direction. But now the market's concerned that uh, we're just lacking uh, enough of, I don't know what you want to call it, economic push to, to with, uh, sustain that kind of high GDP. And, and I must say, even though it's looking like the tax cut program, it helped out a little bit. And now it's not doing the job everybody thought. Well, that's kind of understandable when you're coming into a major long-term business cycle top that occurs about once a decade. Uh, that if you continue to try to juice the economy, it's just like the cycle seems to be the more powerful force, uh, even though we don't under- fully understand it or have all the details. It's just like the juicing the economy will not work. And, and so we're hitting some headwinds here. And finally, the market decided to reevaluate everything and became concerned that maybe they paid too much for stocks uh, looking out into the future. 
And they're starting to see some evidence of why to be concerned of this. Uh, inflation, uh, according to the PCE, which is uh, the Fed's favorite uh, form of inflation analysis, uh, that's dropped 1.8% versus 2.4% in July. So it has turned down. And when you're looking for these major long-term tops, when you're looking for a recession, which is what I've been talking about all year, uh, you have to be concerned. And when you see the, these indicators roll over and head down, that it's going to stay down longer than what you'd experience during all the economic growth, that, that it is going to lead to something negative. So I'm certainly watching that rolling over. Uh, in inflation, and so are investors. It's making them nervous that maybe they are uh, on the right side of things of being a bit uh, pessimistic. Now, the stock market is off 6% year to date. I think it'd been down as much as 10% at some point. It's down 14.5% from the record high made this year. I think it was down 20% uh, only a week or two ago. So it is trying to rebound here at year end a bit. Um, this, and as I stated, the stocks and the bond market reflect fears of a recession in 2019. Uh, as I'll explain in a moment, I think that's pushing it too hard. I'm not convinced the recession starts in, in 2019, but I am convinced companies like Goldman might be correct that maybe uh, GDP growth is going to slow down in 2019. Uh, now, to get on to my, some of my personal analysis and just my personal opinion, I use business cycle models, as I've stated many times. And I must say that there's an opportunity to put in a minor long-term low in January uh, into April. So if it's if the stock market is still going lower after May, we've got to flip to different scenarios and we're probably going to have problems uh, all the way through 2020. So that would not be a good scenario. Uh, so I'm actually leaning towards uh, a bottom here in early 2019 and then we're going to see a rising stock market for the rest of 2019. And I think what that I think the market can rally, even though the GDP may slip back to two percent. The point is, it's still growth. People will still be employed, and uh, and will still be creating jobs likely. So I think this is a bit of an overreaction we've seen in the last few months. But it's understandable why people are willing to focus on negative uh, forecasts and that it's late enough in this overall business cycle to uh, start thinking of problems. And we're seeing this in consumer uh, sentiment and confidence levels when the consumer is actually very optimistic as far as today, but they're turning less optimistic for the future. They're smart enough to know, hey, we've got some good times right now, economy's doing very well, uh, but that can't last forever. So they're, they're starting to think further out. And sooner or later, uh, that will cause them to change their, their spending habit. And consumer spending is about 70% of our economy. So if they start cutting back and want to save a little bit more, uh, that's going to clip the economy. And from a behavioral economic aspect, we're seeing signs of getting to an extreme in economy on the labor side and that people are now more bold to uh, switch jobs, change their careers, try to move up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, we're even hearing stories of ghosting, meaning people aren't even showing up for work. <laughs> so they're feeling rather confident today. But again, uh, that won't last. And as you run some of the polls, you can see that uh, generally the consumer understands it, it won't last. So again, this is kind of built into the market where the market is looking further down the road and thinking, well, maybe things won't uh, be so good here. Uh, let's take a look at some of the other things I was looking at. Even though the S&P 500 met some ideal objectives and could rally now, unfortunately, it could drop all the way to 2,200 by my estimates. 
That would mean 25% off the record high. Uh, and as I said, I'm not looking for a bottom till sometime January to April. Uh, and I don't think it can bottom the first week or second week of January. I think it's got to be a little later than that. So I'm a little concerned there's still some more downside here, but we may see it just kind of turn choppy and, and try to uh, base build. And we often use the stock market as a clue of the economy, but I think you can also say today's stock market is very in tune to the daily news, but you know, by the second news, they're certainly keeping an eye on this trade war. Uh, they are concerned that's gonna hurt the economy. So I guess if we could use the stock market to kind of predict which way that news is going, if the models are correct, we're probably not gonna see China and the US resolve anything for the first half of January. And I realize uh, President Trump came out over the weekend saying he had some a long and very good call uh, with Xi of China, the, the president of China. Uh, but I think, uh, I guess I'm going to say if there's going to be any good news coming out of these talks, I'm guessing it's going to be late January on into April. And, and I hope they do resolve something by April, because like I say, if the stock market is still going down after May, uh, then we've got structural damage here that... Um, could last for some time now. Um, other things going on in the U.S. is uh, Federal Reserve in 2018 raised interest rates, uh, uh, not aggressively in terms of size, but several times. And so it was aggressive if you chart it out. Uh, they really raised the rate. And of course, the bond market responded to that for a while. Now the bond market is rejecting some of that rate increase as if it's worried about the future and a recession. Uh, we're hearing talk that the yield curve into uh, interest rates. And for a yield curve, what you do is you compare, say, a short-term bond or note, compare its rate to, say, a long-term bond. So it's a it's spread is what it really is, but some people call it the yield curve. And when that flattens or turns inverted, normally you have a recession. Not immediately. Sometimes it's within five months. Sometimes it takes a year and a half. And the markets have been very concerned that this is occurring. And I even heard uh, that there's a former uh, Fed official, New York Fed official, who had done research on this and said that most people are not really following the best yield curve. They should be following the 90-day note versus, say, the 10-year note. And that person said that uh, if the Fed raises in 2019, it could easily push that to a, a negative, uh, uh, an inverted rate, I should say. And, and, and then you have to be concerned you have recessions coming. So uh, interesting, I'm gonna be monitoring that as well for 2019, but the Fed kind of gave us a clue here recently with its December meeting and it did raise its rate as uh, it said it would, but it gave a clue that it's now looking at the possibility of maybe only one to two rate increases, whereas investors assumed they were gonna raise it two, three, four times. So at least they're kind of trying to provide some stability, saying they're not going to get too carried away. And my thoughts, if they raised it only once to not at all, that's actually going to help things in 2019. I think the investors will feel better. I think even businesses will feel better. And, and that's kind of what I'm leaning toward is the Fed's going to calm down a bit on these interest rate hikes. They know the market is sensitive now and, and they're just going to be concerned. We'll see some problems. Uh, on the economic side and business side, eventually that they're nervous. Now, in terms of business for the U.S., uh, come uh, January 3rd, we will learn, uh, or I'm sorry, January 2nd, we will learn of the December PMI manufacturing index, and probably a couple of days later, we'll learn of that index in terms of services. 
And I must say, as I've said in the prior podcast, I've been nervous here every month with this drop in the stock market that pretty soon business just gets scared. And you'll see that PMI collapse and then you have to become nervous that, well, maybe 2019 is going to be a recession year after all. So far, we really haven't seen that. Uh, the US PMIs are running 53 to 57 and anything over 50 means economic growth. And the higher the number, the higher the rating, in other words, then the faster pace of growth. And we're really not even seeing signs of slowing down. That, those are good, solid growth numbers. Whereas the rest of the world, the PMIs have been slipping, and I'll explain that in a moment. We'll, we'll take a few countries and a few regions here in a moment. But at least for the uh, US, it's hanging in well. And normally, I assume for uh, what's called the ISM PMI, tends to reflect uh, businesses that they can become nervous. I call them the nervous willy-nillies. They, they can respond to negative news far faster than they should. They overreact. And I would have thought in October, November, they would have really uh, turned cautious, if not negative, on the future, and, and they haven't done it. And that's the first time I've seen that for this kind of volatility stock market. And I think the reason is, is they're looking at the actual economic numbers. They're looking at their sales amount of business they're doing, their profits, and they're saying it's pretty good. And, and, and so they, they tend to be taking a, they don't want to forecast anything negative, you know. Now they could change their mind here during the winter because winter is normally a, a bit of a slump for the economy. Uh, so we'll just have to keep an eye on that. But I must say it's that PMI holding up as long as it has here has given me the clue to go with um, scenario one as the highest probability for the stock market economy. And that is expect a bottom in early 2019, improvement for the rest of uh, 2019. Uh, that just shoves the recession for that major long-term business cycle, shoves it out into, say, late 2020 to 2021, with 2021 being the latest for it to occur. And then we're just going to start another seven to 12-year period of economic growth. So this recession is just going to you know, knock us back a little bit here and worry us, but in the end, it's just a correction. And everything will march on. I'm not seeing signs of any kind of a great recession or depression or anything like that. So uh, we just got to get this recession out to get going on that bigger trend. And it's just a matter of when is it going to occur from now to 2021. Uh, a second scenario is only about 25% probability. And that is uh, we will have a recession in 2019. And then the third scenario is just a much more long drawn out process of uh, where the stock market cannot go to a record high in the next two years. The economy is on again, off again, and finally ends with a recession. And just, it'd just be a more miserable thing to follow, I think, and just long drawn out. Right at the moment, I'd rank that about 50 or about 5% probability. So we're really talking about 70% probability um, for this scenario one that we're going to get a recovery in 2019. So for those who are just not ready for that recession, just soon leave it to the latest possible. Uh, I'm in that camp. I, I think that's a possibility here. And hopefully that'll be a little bit supportive of commodities and, and see a rebound in the, in the energy market, which will also encourage uh, commodity investors maybe a little bit here. Uh, but I don't know as I see a big bull market in the U.S. for commodities other than uh, if we have a crap problem, then obviously that would impact the crap prices. But as far as commodities in general, I'm not looking for a major up move. Goldman Sachs, a few weeks ago, one of their analysts said they could see his 12 to 17% increase in commodity prices. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I want to see how things develop. But uh, So right today, U.S. economy is okay, but the stock market is worried about the future. 
my thoughts are is we got a bottom coming in the first quarter here, and that could be a clue that maybe by the second quarter we've resolved some of this um, trade war issue stuff, uh, I would hope. And uh, But like I say, if, if we got problems after May for the stock market, I'm going to be nervous. We're going to have more problems in the economy, and I'm going to be nervous. Uh, the trade war just lasted too long. So that was kind of long-winded, Casey, on the U.S. I don't know if you want to switch over and talk a little on uh, some of this uh, trade issue, or some of the trade uh, programs that just uh, took place here in the last few days. And uh, Yep, so that, I want to get to that here in a second, but I have one follow-up question. So when you were you talked about uh, interest rates, and you hit on that, and that that is, that is becoming a, uh, you know, we talk about interest rates when we're buying equipment and those kind of things, and, and and now we're looking at, uh, you know, some 6% interest rates out there and, and even some higher interest rates, depending on, on if it's a lease situation and, and where property tax falls into that. Um, the Fed, you know, over since, since uh, Trump's been president, the Fed's been really bullish on raising interest rates, right? And they were just going to go, 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 go. The last Fed meeting when they released and said they were going to raise interest rates, I mean, the stock market fell off about 1000 1200 points that week, something like that. And it was just a, it was a, it was a massive sell off. So to your point, is there a signal out there that's saying, Hey, the economy is not as strong as we thought it was, or was that just more of an overreaction to um, so many, you know, interest rates increase over the, over the course of 2018? Yeah, I think it's uh interest rate and trade war should be at the number one of why it's selling off. And it probably would be more of the interest rate side. But um, even though the PMIs are saying the economy is doing strong, doesn't show any, any complications or problem there, um, I think uh, the inflation, the fact that it's pulled back from uh, the July high and now at 1.8%, which granted is still near 2% for the Fed, uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think the market is saying, well, you know, that's a pretty good rollover. What if it's on its way to 1.2%? They're not going to want to see a 1.2% or lower inflation, they're going to be nervous. It just keeps on going and eventually fall in recession. So they are seeing a little bit of evidence here that they've done the correct thing of being nervous, but increasingly chatter on Wall Street is, yeah, but you still could have overdone it to the downside in the stock market that you've kind of overreacted. Even if the economy is going to slump, it's probably not going to fall in the recession in 2019. So what you're thinking is then there might've been a, like you said, a little bit of an overreaction to, yeah. The stock market to the interest rates then? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and if we can just start getting some clues from the Fed uh, meetings that uh, that they are considering the fact that uh, maybe they should be cautious on how high they raise, I think that's going to encourage the, the stock market. Um, and, and, and I don't know how good a job they'll do that. Uh, people are being, some people are now saying, some big money players are now saying Trump shouldn't be trying to beat up on Powell in the sense of, the kind of action they're doing. Instead, people should be trying to, you know, ask the Fed to reevaluate how they're really calculating things, what data they're really looking at, uh, because they're concerned they've just raised a little too fast. Uh, they're not that concerned that the Fed will raise over time. They get that. Uh, they understand that the recession was a long while ago and that we have some safety here and the economy is just humming right along right now. Uh, but they're just concerned that it could be the Fed that actually hurts the economy instead of the other way around. And normally the Fed just wants to raise rates to so that it has a cushion that when finally the consumer and businesses create the recession, 
the Fed can come in and lower rates and then help things out to, to get us up out of that recession and or at least contain it so it doesn't turn into a depression. And uh, so they're just, you know, they're concerned that by raising them quickly, it actually could be the Fed's fault, not the consumer and businesses causing the next recession. <laughs> so Right. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So now let's shift over to uh, the next big thing on the plate here from 2018 that's going to affect 2019. And that's, that's definitely the, uh, some trade agreements that we have or trade war that we're having with China at the moment. Um, there's a lot of stuff going out there right now as far as, uh, you know, some of kind of a rebirth to the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. Uh, it kind of got altered a little bit, and there's a few more, um, few more countries that are involved in that. And that does have a uh, have an effect on on how the U.S. is going to uh, trade when it comes to commodities. So, why don't you hit on that for a little bit and talk about what you see, you know, with China and what you see with uh, some of these other partnerships around uh, in the in the Pacific uh, region as well as in Europe. Yeah. Um... So, you know, it's still really nothing has changed with China and the U.S. Yes, they're talking. Yes, they've had their ceasefire. And uh, it's questionable whether they're going to accomplish. Now, China had did in the last few days lower tariffs uh, for some countries. And they're trying to help their import-export business. And we'll talk about China in a moment here. But I, uh, in terms of their economy, that is slipping. But... Um, as far as dealing with the U.S., that I haven't seen any evidence that they you know, have helped out at all, uh, that they're just talking. And uh, so we got a ways to go here and it could last quite a while. And I'm just hopeful in January we can start to hear off with a little brighter note that they actually do some things, at least cut back on some of those tariffs while they work on others, that kind of thing. So not much else to say there other than China, by some measurements, is winning this war and by other measurements, they're not. And frankly, I just call it a mess. And there's no question about it. It has bothered uh, businesses around the world. And it's added to uh, a normal cyclical downturn or slump in business. In other words, it's making it a little worse than it would normally be for for some of these business cycles. So uh, still have to keep an eye on that. And unfortunately, yes, the U.S. farmer has, has, has been losing on this side of, of the game. Uh, now what's got me a little concerned is what's going on with the rest of the countries. Um, uh, over the weekend here, I heard that uh, there was articles saying, well, Australia and Canadian farmers are celebrating the new uh, 11-nation trade treaty. It's uh, known as the Comprehensive Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. And... Uh, Basically, it's just, it really does look like Australia and Canada get an edge here. Uh, tariffs are changing with those other countries so they can export to other countries, just do more business. And the U.S. is not involved with that because uh, President Trump, a, a year ago, I think it was, uh, rejected the TPP and, uh, and has just has not shown any interest of joining in on this, uh, this new trade pact, if you will. So uh, this looks like it's going through. It's going to work. And unfortunately, it just looks like here again, the rest of the world's getting an edge over the U.S. And it has me concerned with Japan as well as to uh, could we possibly lose some, some business of our ag exports to, uh, to Japan uh, versus some of these other countries picking them up. I don't have any more details on that other than I know that at least Australian and Canadian farmers, are, they feel like they got a windfall coming because some of this, the trade tariffs are going to be reduced. So it makes it easier for them to uh, sell their their products. So um, 
that's going to be, uh, you know, you got to add that to the U.S.-China trade war for what we need to watch in 2019. So, so, so when you take a look at that, that's just going to have a, I mean, yeah, the tariffs going to be there, but it's still, still the commodity side of the business is going to be driven by world supply and, and world supply is still going to have a, a major effect into what's going on now. Granted, if it's cheaper because of tariffs, I get that, but there's still going to be a, a supply issue. So as you look out there now and you're starting to see um, you know, record crops being harvested just about every year in every part of the world when it comes to corn and soybeans, um, that, that's, a, that's a producer of that stuff. And then you throw wheat on top of that, carryout has got to be um, a point of concern moving into 2019 too. Right. I mean, you got global ending stocks down for corn, but uh, estimates have been edging higher. And I'm sure anybody who wants to go out and forecast 2020 are going to say, okay, basically the world dropped in ending stocks only from a little better demand and mostly from crop problems in South America. And we all know that, yeah, you get a crop problem, chances are the next year you actually get a good crop. So they're going to start becoming concerned that uh, that can improve on the corn side. Now, when you add it all up, like corn, soybeans, wheat, and just look at a total global grain oil seed uh, index stock, it's high. And it's primarily high probably from soybeans first and then, uh, and then wheat second. Uh, so that's going to be lingering there. It's going to be a headwind. Uh, uh, if we see an improvement to uh, in 2019, like some of these companies like Goldman Sachs, if, they, if they're correct and commodities actually improve in price a little bit, they just have to question, well, how high can it really go? And how good can the economy go as we're going into this, this uh, major long-term cyclical peak, you know? So uh, not a reason to get really built up there. Um, it's certainly understandable why prices are rather low and margins pinched around the world. Uh, the commodity industry uh, is basically... It was at least in a recession from 2014 to 2017. Some people would tell you, yeah, it's still still going on here just because we produce too much and uh, and we just haven't seen the demand there, especially on the global economy side, uh, really pick up the way it should have relative to, say, how the U.S. economy picked up uh, since the recession. Uh, I'm a bit of an optimist for next decade. I think probably the global economy do better. But right today, uh, it's not showing signs of doing well enough uh, to really support an aggressive bull market in, in prices from just demand. When you look at Europe, okay, so let's talk about that one for a minute. Europe has got all kinds of strife going on over there right now with Brexit and whether or not that's even going to ha happen. Um, there's the stuff happening in Europe with uh, the riots over uh, gasoline tax and carbon taxes and those kind of things. Um, talk about Europe right now and, and what you see happening as far as overall strength of, of, uh, of, that, of that continent. Yeah, it's uh, as of December 14th, uh, Market Economic put out their composite uh, flash PMI indicator for both, in other words, both services and uh, manufacturing for the Eurozone, and it just continued lower. Uh, so it's pretty much 2018 has been a down year in the sense of that indicator. Now it's still above 50, meaning it's growth. All it is is growth is slowing for Europe. But as you look inside a Eurozone, you find that uh, Italy has had problems more from a financial side, a debt side, although over the weekend I heard some news that they may have finally got their budget passed or organized, so maybe there'll be some encouragement there. But their PMI is below 50, meaning the economy is actually going backwards, not forward. So that's a little bit of a concern. Does that trickle through uh, the rest of Europe? Uh, Germany's uh, IFO uh, indicator, which is really a, 
a collection of all kinds of indicators and segments of the economy. It's kind of like a basket approach to their economy. That's been trending down for 2018. Uh, so Germany is normally assumed to be the strongest of all of the Eurozone, if not Europe entirely. And, and here they're slipping and their stock market's off 18% year to date. My model did very well forecasting that. It recently achieved some objectives here and it could be bearish for quite some time. I, I got my fingers crossed that maybe early 2019, we, we see some support there, just as what I'm looking for the US and we can get some kind of rebound. But you can see, uh, yes, things are slowing in, in Europe and uh, they've had issues of trying to export some of their wheat out of France and things like that. Russia continues to uh, be a, a huge exporter in the world, if not the biggest now. Uh, and so they can throw their weight around. Uh, Russia has tried to change things internally. Some regions, they want to export less, but I'm hearing chatter from actual exporters uh, that they just believe other regions will just export more. So they're not really seeing any significant pullback. Uh, Russia uh, stock market has actually held up better than the rest of the world, but it's getting a little, uh, it's down like 7% for the year. Uh, doesn't look that bad chart-wise actually, but you can see uh, in the recent uh, manufacturing indicators, it started to roll over again. And over the weekend, there was news that Putin wants to have a better dialogue with uh, Trump. And it made me wonder, is he a little concerned that <laughs> maybe yeah, the rest of the world's going down and eventually Russia's going down too? I don't know. It, they, you know I, don't, I don't know what will get out of that anything significant, but it's something to uh, keep an eye on. Um, but for the moment, uh, Europe is actually growing economically. It's just, it's just slowing down. It's slowing at a fast enough pace that uh, we do want to keep an eye on it. Um, as far as a competitor for U.S. and in, uh, in our agricultural commodities, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're still the leader in, in quite a few things. We're near the, the number one spot. Uh, I'm not too concerned of Europe uh, competing with us. Uh, uh, if anything, if we continue to lose business with some of these other nations and these tradebacks, we'll probably get a little relief by picking up business in some of those other nations and, and quite possibly a little bit with Europe still. Uh, the only way Europe will hurt us is if they truly go in a recession. And I've got a ways, ways to go yet for that. When you look at 2019, what is your, where are you the most optimistic at? Um, I guess so. I'm, most optimistic with the U.S. still and its economy and, and creating the stock market, and that can provide some support in our commodities other than if we're going to continue to produce big crops and we don't resolve this trade war, um, you know, how much support can we get just from the economy? Uh, but I'm kind of thinking U.S. can still be a leader uh, and, and still have some, uh, maybe some kind of connection to the rest of the world of providing some support. Uh, so I'm going with that number one scenario here that I'd like to think that the whole world can actually bottom in the first quarter of 2019. And I just want to try to be optimistic there. I will say in South America, we're seeing some of these major Wall Street firms, some of them also commodity and commercial banking firms like Goldman Sachs. Uh, they're basically watching Brazil as a clue uh, to the global commodity business because uh, they assume if Brazil is doing well in their economy, it's probably because of agriculture because they're not a big manufacturer. And that probably will then mean they're getting good export business, but it can also be a clue maybe the rest of the world's doing better as well. So we wanna keep an eye on that. And what they're looking at is the Brazilian stock market is actually up uh, for the year. I think it's up 7% here. I thought I put it in my notes, but I'm not seeing it right now. Well, actually, it's up 15% for the Bovesba index year to date. 
Now, that, that's kind of impressive when the rest of the world is eroding, falling. I mean, you got the China stock market down 20%. You got South Korea down. Um, and, and then, of course, the U.S. is off now this year. So kind of impressive. But you also have to keep in mind, uh, Brazil from 2014 to 2017 went through its perhaps its worst recession ever. And just before that, in 2010, its GDP was 9%, which is very good, extremely high. I can't even think when the last time the U.S. was ever that high. But the one thing when you see very high GDPs, oh, that's great and wonderful and everybody's happy, but you just have to be convinced, yeah, but the downside's coming. And if you just went through a record GDP, boy, you could have a big downside. Well, that's exactly what happened to Brazil. They had a 9% GDP and then it fell to negative for a while. It's currently bounced back. They've, they're working their way out of recession or about 1.2% as of the third quarter for annualized GDP. So that's kind of encouraging and, and could uh, mean a bit of support, at least, say, for the commodities uh, economy there. So that's something to watch. And so I'm kind of optimistic there. I don't know as I really want to be a bull on South America because I'm kind of convinced that, you know, eventually uh, U.S., Europe, the rest of the world is going to fall into recession here. And can't imagine why South America would <laughs> not fall in yet another recession. But I will say probably Brazil has seen their worst uh, recession. Uh, Brazil's president, Bolsonaro, starts on January 1, I believe, uh, has a huge agenda. It may be too many things that they're trying to do, so there could be some complications and problems. I hear three-quarters of the population supports Bolsonaro's team, uh, but they've got to deal, deal with their government, their Congress, or whatever they call it, uh, just like we, and there's going to be headwinds and those fighting against them trying to, to do something. And he still favors limiting uh, China investments. So we want to watch their relationship. Can that help U.S. or not? Uh, what ties? Will there be any ties from Brazil to U.S.? Uh, something a little better. That's something else to watch. Um, so I have some optimism here when I look at something like the South America countries that could have a little bit of a bounce. I look at even though the Eurozone is kind of eroded here, I, I look at their stock market as an indicator and I look at what my model is saying and it's saying, can have a bit of a recovery here for 2019. It may not be a great bull market, but some kind of recovery. And then I go over and I look at things like in uh, China with their stock market off 25% uh, year to date, I think it is. Um, I can't be that optimistic on China right now, according to the business cycle model of any kind of major bull, but it's kind of forecasting a chance for some relief in 2019. That may only become the fact that even though the, tra the trade war continues, but investors decide, you know what, prices are still low for our, for our stocks. Well, why aren't we buying our own stocks? Um, but any kind of relief could also be a clue that, yeah, we are going to fix something uh, on some of these trade issues. Um, I do see in Japan, uh, their manufacturing orders rose at a little slower pace. So I want to watch that. Their inflation is 0.9%. If it drops below 0.7%, that's a warning for me. I want to watch them a little closer what they're doing. Uh, their stocks are off 12%, but here again, the model saying this could very well be a buy in Japanese stocks during the first quarter of 2019, that we could get some kind of relief here that is just not time yet for this recession that investors have overreacted here. Uh, same thing in South Korea. We want to watch them. They're a good export customer of ours. Um, their stock market's off 17%. Here again, the model's saying, you want to pay attention. This may be too late of a time to, to turn negative, that uh, we could get some relief in, in that stock market as well, that it could very well be a buy in early 2019. 
their PMI is below 50, which is a bit of a concern that their economy is falling back. But I've looked at some other measurements that kind of tells me, be cautious of being overly bearish right now. It can still be a little too early uh, before we see some negative factors here. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll take it one step at a time here. But uh, I want to be optimistic, the economy and the stock market for 2019. I'm going to try at least. I'm going to be trying even buying stocks during the first quarter here. I got to warn everybody. I could change my mind any moment. Uh, we got to continue to watch these, these indicators because it's amazing how quickly they can fall apart these days. But I got a gut feeling what's going on is economies around the world are slowing and the U.S. is going to slow. And in terms of its growth, it's not that we're falling backwards. But we're just going to see some slower growth in 2019, but that can still mean high levels of employment, high levels of moving commodities and, and products and goods and services around the world as well as in the U.S., you know. So trying to be an optimist for 2019 here. <laughs> and uh, even though I still have to warn everybody, I'm very convinced uh, history will repeat. We will have a recession sometime now to 2021. But uh, if the Fed will lay low, and if we can just calm down on this trade war issue stuff, I think the economies are good enough. We're going to see some kind of a rebound in 2019. It may not be uh, something fantastic, but I'm, will I'm willing to go with it. All right, Rich. Well, we've covered everything that was on my list. Anything else that you want to throw out there before we shut it down? Uh, something else in uh, South America to watch is uh, Chile copper exports. They were $4 billion worth in 2017. And in 2018, on track, I think for just $3 billion, if I got that correctly. So that, that's a sizable drop there. Again, that can makes us want to continue to watch for problems around the world here. Uh, sometimes the U.S. investors, traders, even business people will refer to as copper as Dr. Copper. They believe it has a connection to economies. Uh, but you want to be cautious when copper prices are turning down and you see weakness. That can just be of too much supply and the economy is actually doing very well and, and copper demand can be doing very well. So you have to be cautious of using it uh, when, when copper's in a bear market. It works best when copper's in a bull market and heading higher and you see economic growth, then that's a real plus. And, you can, and if you can forecast copper going still higher, well, then you might as well forecast the economy going well. That actually works pretty good. Today in the U.S., copper prices are off 18.7% year-to-date in the futures. But uh, still impressive uh, price action, in my opinion. And just for a fun fact to close the year out, 1931 copper was 4.73 cents per pound. Today, it's around $2.68 per pound. And you can actually see it's been in a bull market since the 1930s. It uh, just keeps edging higher over time, sometimes very slowly. Um, there's definitely bear markets within that bull market. But just interesting that it does show that global uh, demand continues to grow along with global uh, population growth. And, uh, but again, uh, people are probably watching how is that price fluctuating relative to everything else they're looking at to get a handle on uh, commodities, the stock market, and the economy. Okay. All right, Rich. Well, if, if folks want to reach out to you and uh, ask you some questions or just, just pick your brain on a few, uh, few topics they might have, uh, is, uh, is your Twitter handle the best place to get a hold of you yet? Yes, and that's uh, Richard uh, underscore Possum. So, right on. And if you're not following him, if you're not following Rich. You need to because he's got some good stuff he puts out there, and and uh, the people that follow him are are highly intelligent as well. So there's always good information that come across that feed. So, well, Rich, I appreciate you being on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you here uh, in uh, down the road here just a little bit. 
Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, Rich, take care of yourself and have a happy new year. Same to you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Andrew Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Topsoil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving